Well, good evening. Welcome to this Wednesday midweek service. Uh, glad you're with us joining online. Uh, we have come to the end of our Colossians study, and here we are near the end of the summer as well, and I hope it's been a blessing. Uh, I'm so grateful for uh, the other guys that have shared all the way through chapter 3, and it's been just a blessing even for me to watch uh, the other guys teach, and uh, Tawan and Trevor and Scott, it's been a blessing to, to see their gifts used, and hopefully it's been a blessing to you, but we will be wrapping up tonight, uh, so turn with me in your Bibles to Colossians chapter 4, Colossians chapter 4, and um, we're just going to read the first few verses, uh, we'll read all of it, but, uh, but we'll read the first few verses, and then we'll get to cha- uh, verses 7 through 18 a little bit later. Uh, But starting in verse 1, if your Bibles are open, Colossians chapter 4, verse 1, Masters, give your bondservants what is just and fair, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. Continue earnestly in prayer, being vigilant in it with thanksgiving. Meanwhile, praying also for us that God would open to us a door for the word to speak the mystery of Christ, for which I am also in chains that I may make it manifest, as I ought to speak. Walk in wisdom toward those who are outside, redeeming the time. Let your speech always be with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how, to, how you ought to answer each one. Let's pray. Father, we thank you again for this time this evening. Thank you for this study that we've had throughout the summer. Thank you for what we've learned, what you've reminded us of by your Spirit. Lord, we know that our sufficiency is in Jesus. Lord, we need you tonight. We need you through the rest of September. We need you in October, November, December as we finish this year. This has been a wild ride of a year, but Lord, you are our sufficiency uh, in 2020, in our marriages, in our lives, in our individual walks. Lord, we need you to do a work in us that we could never do. What we've seen in the past, what we see in Paul and these other faithful saints, we pray that you would bring about in our lives as well. Thank you for this time this evening. Thank you for each person that's watching. Lord, as I pray often, remove me once again from the equation that each person might hear from you, including myself, even as I'm speaking, Lord. I'll be hearing from you, and you're teaching all of us, Lord. We're sitting at your feet tonight. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Everything we've looked at in chapters 1 through 3 underscores the simple and clear fact that our sufficiency to live for Christ and reflect Christ is found only in walking in Christ. Now, I know that doesn't seem profound, but the reality is Christ is at the center of anything. Apart from him, we can do nothing. There's no substitute. We have no ability or sufficiency in and of ourselves, and we've seen this throughout the study of Colossians, that we need Jesus, we need Jesus, we need him in everything we do, in everything we attempt to do, in everything he calls us to do. But to the extent that we're yielded to Christ, we can live out his common to all of us commands, I mean, those commands that are given to the whole family of Christ, as well as those personal and unique callings, those Tim callings, those this person or that person, individual, there's something for just God wants you to do. And these closing words from the Apostle Paul 
remind us to stay on course. Seeking first Christ and His glory. It's not about us. It's never about us. His glory. And if we do that, we'll faithfully fulfill His will for our lives. If you're taking notes, you see the title of tonight's final study here in Colossians this summer, ending this summer. Christ, our sufficiency, called to fulfill. Called to fulfill. The first thing we want to look at in these first couple of verses, if you're taking notes, is what I've titled, Reflect the Lord. It's found in verse 1. Masters, give your bondservants what is just and fair, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. I've talked many times, the Bible is not a book that endorses slavery, but it does reflect reflect, uh, that historically it has been sadly part of our world and part of a fallen world. But the reality is God comes to redeem each and every person, no matter where they were, in ancient Rome, in ancient Egypt, in any time, and God's no respecter of persons. He wants to change every person that turns to him. And the point to keep in mind here is we we see, he says, you have a master in heaven. The point to keep in mind in verse 1 here is that we all report to an authority in heaven. Everybody. We all will give an account to our master, our commander, our shepherd, our king, Jesus Christ. We don't follow the world's leadership principles. Some of them are good. Some of them aren't so good. Rather, as Jesus walked in this world, as he modeled, as he treated people, as he led his disciples, we're to do so in the same manner. And what manner was that? Justly and graciously. Now, there was other characteristics, but justly and graciously is how Jesus wants us to lead if we're given a leadership position. As I mentioned, Jesus was no respecter of persons. He didn't show favoritism to wealthy and powerful people and then show contempt to the poor and those without power. No, no. Actually, Jesus showed great genuine care and compassion, even more so, went out of his way to go to the downtrodden, the slaves, the lepers, the sick, the outcast, those with no positions and no titles, Jesus went out of his way to show them love, to show them compassion. Jesus also made time for people. Are you making time for people? Am I making time for people? Are we just too busy for people? Jesus made time for people. He would listen. And he always had the other person's best interest in mind. When you're talking to somebody, do you have their interest in mind or your interest in mind? Even if you are a master in an ancient world, Jesus is saying you need to have your servant's interest in mind, not yours. If you have employees, people that report to you, do you have their best interest in mind? Jesus was also the undisputed master of his disciples. Would you agree with that? I think you would. Jesus was the master. He had 12 disciples, and he had even more beyond the 12. And of course, he still is the master, as we see here in verse 1. We have a master in heaven. He's my master. He's your master if you're saved. One of his titles also was rabbi. You know that that term means teacher. And yet, he never led like the Pharisees of the ancient world, 
the time of Christ. He never led like the Roman rulers, the Caesars or uh, Pilate or Herod, any of those that had authority in the Roman realm. Rather than being arrogant and harsh, as we see with the religious leaders of that day, with the Roman rulers of that day, Jesus was approachable, gentle. We see so many leaders today, they're not approachable, they're not gentle, full of arrogance. But that's not how we're to be. How do those that are under your care and authority, how do they see you? Whatever position, you may be a mom, a dad, a manager, a leader of some description, a teacher, a principal, a, a doctor. But how do those that are under your care and authority, how do they see you? Do they see that you're putting their needs above your own, or do they see selfishness, pride, know-it-all, harshness? Are you harsh and short? Are you gentle and patient? That's, that's where we're supposed to be. Me as a pastor, I, we have a lot of people that uh, come through these doors. I'm to be gentle, patient, able to listen, able to understand. Now, I still have to speak truth, but to speak it in love. Whether we have an earthly authority or not, we're to follow the lead and the character of Christ, our master. And as we reflect him, oh, it'll be a bright light in a very callous and me-centric culture. People will see a little bit of heaven in us because we're reflecting our master that's in heaven if we're acting in the way that Paul is commanding and stating, hey, remember, act like your master who's in heaven. Let's go on in verse 2, continuing earnestly in prayer, being vigilant in it with thanksgiving, meanwhile praying also for us that God would open to us a door for the word to speak the mystery of Christ, of which I am also in chains, that I may make it manifest as I ought to speak. Taking notes, let's take a look at what I've titled, Remain in Prayer. The assumption of Paul in writing to the Colossians, remember Paul's in a Roman prison, He's writing to the Colossians, which is in uh, modern-day Turkey. But he's writing to the Colossians, and, and the assumption is, is that they have become people of prayer. He says, continue earnestly in prayer. I sincerely hope the same can be said for us at Calvary Chapel Richmond, that we have become and are becoming people of prayer. A.W. Tozer said, the key to prayer is simply praying. We simply have to pray. Not talk about praying, but stopping to pray. Are you praying more often these days? Are you praying for things you didn't used to pray about? You kind of thought, hey, I, I don't need, I'm on autopilot with this. I don't need God's help. Or, or are you stopping to pray about small things, in-between things, talking to God, riding down the road, sitting in the chair, whatever you're doing, and then, not just stopping to pray and making the time and simply doing it, but also that our prayers be simple and sincere, if you will. Sincere. We're talking to God. We're not, uh, we're not uh, impressing anybody. Sometimes you see that in public prayers. But we're just simply talking to God and say, Lord, I want to I live for you. I want to please you. I want my life to be an honor to you. Help me to do the things you've 
asked me to do. Lord, pray for that person. Just There's so many things that God wants us to cultivate in our life of prayer. But the admonition is to continue in prayer and look at the action word here. Continue earnestly, being vigilant. Some of your versions may say watch, which is synonymous with vigilance. The counsel here is to become more dedicated to prayer, more dependent on prayer, more expectant in prayer. God wants us to expect that we're going to see what we're praying. If Jesus said, you'll ask and you'll receive. That we expect, again, we're not asking for things that are all about us. We're asking things that are about the kingdom of God. Lord, we expect to see people saved. We expect to see disciples made. We expect to see people baptized. We expect to see families brought back together. We expect to see people healed. We've had many services on Wednesday nights over the last couple of years where we have prayed, we've anointed with oil. We expect to see these things happen. Yeah, there's a little bit of doubt in us, but we pray anyway. We pray over our doubts and through them. And, and the more we pray, those doubts dissolve and we, our faith grows in prayer. And notice the last two words in verse 2 where it says, all of this praying also that God would... Um, oh, sorry. Uh, being vigilant in it with thanksgiving. With thanksgiving. Philippians 4, 6 says this. So, be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known unto God. Now, many of you know that verse probably read it a million times, and perhaps you quote it to yourself, and that's good. It's, I don't care how many times we've read that verse, we need it again and again because we still will get anxious. We still will forget to say thanks. We'll still be overwhelmed, and, and sometimes when we're just overwhelmed, we just start thanking God. You wouldn't believe the burdens that will lift. We just start thanking the Lord, saying, Lord, thank you that we have food and shelter. With these things, we'll be content. Thank you for your grace. Thank you uh, that I'm alive. Thank you there's breath in our lungs. Thank you I can stop and be forgiven of, even if I've blown it today and start all over, thank you, Lord, that I can pray for other people. And by the way, it feels so good to get our eyes off of ourselves and be praying for others. But regardless of how things are going, keep praying, brother and sister, Keep praying because prayer is supernatural. Do you believe that? Do you believe it's supernatural? Do you believe that God in heaven literally is hearing our words? That he is looking down saying, I want to do more than you're even praying. More than you could ask, think, or imagine. And that God always responds to the humble prayers of his people. Now, if we're coming in pride or in sin, no, but if we're coming to say, Lord, uh, be merciful to me, a sinner, and Lord, cleanse me, forgive me, and these are the things that are my petitions or intercessions for other people, or even in your own life. God hears the humble prayers of his people. We can, we can trust that he does. You know, those of us who are parents, if we're, if we're able to be trusted by our kids a million, infinite times more, we can trust God to hear us. And we're to keep giving thanks well before we see 
And this is hard to do, right? We're giving thanks for trials we're in. Lord, this doesn't feel good. It feels miserable. But thank you for it anyway. We're to give thanks well before we see what we're hoping and desiring to see. And to give thanks even if God answers differently than what we're praying or expecting. After all, he is a lot more wise than we are, isn't he? Now we could ask, Lord, uh, I need you to do this or this. And sometimes God says, not neither that nor that. What you really need is. But if we're asking humbly, say, Lord, I'm asking, but if, if you have a totally different plan, and some, sometimes, maybe oftentimes, his plan is totally different than how we're praying, Lord, we thank you that you're all wise, all knowing, that you make all things work together for good, even the things we don't understand. So we just say, thank you, Lord, that you're in total control. Thank you in advance. Thank you that if I keep my eyes fixed on you, you'll bring to pass what you desire, and our desires become his desires. But a prayerful and thankful heart, no matter what, changes us. It changes us. James 5.16 tells us the effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. For certain, the much is us. Because we don't know, if we, if we are praying, Lord, I'm growing and praying and seeking you in prayer, and, and Lord, these are the things that I'm praying for, but no matter what, if it does avail much, and it certainly does, God is not a liar, everything he says is true, we can be certain that he's changing us for the better as we grow in prayer. Continue praying. Expect the Lord to change us or the circumstances by his grace and in his timing because a lot of times we have a time frame and God's not inside of our time frame. I found many times that I thought it was four, four laps around the track, spiritually uh, speaking. You know, we've been talking about this in our Hebrews study back in chapter 12 when we were there. Uh, the laps around, I think it's going to be four laps around and God says, no, it's going to be 12 laps around or 16 where we're to run with endurance, but also pray with endurance. Now Paul also presents his own personal request here, and as I mentioned a few minutes ago, it's such a blessing to pray for other people. The more I focus on praying for other people, the less I am worried about my own situations. And Jesus said, hey, hey, you don't have to worry about that stuff. I know what you need. Start interceding for other people. And so Paul says, hey, Meanwhile, praying also for us that God would open to us a door for the word to speak the mystery of Christ, for which I'm also in chains. Paul presents his own request, and notice the emphasis of his request. It's focused on what? The kingdom of God. The kingdom of God. He says, an open door to preach the word and the mystery of Christ. Thy kingdom come. You can kind of think about that when Jesus spoke about the model prayer. There's nothing self-serving here for Paul. He's already in chains, and he still is asking for an open door not to go out and live some great pleasure-filled life. No, he wants an open door, either literally out of the prison or metaphorically just an open door. That, If he's talking to guards, he saw that with the Philippian jailer and his whole family coming to Christ. If it's talking to people that work all the way up uh, for Caesar, that wherever in Rome 
he can be of great impact that God would use even his chains for an open door for the gospel. So his prayer is not about himself. It's about the mystery of Christ. It's about advancing Christ. It's about bringing Christ into the lives and the ears and the hearts of those that are there in Rome. It's a request to simply be used by God. To walk through any opening created by God. And then to preach the gospel that came down from God. This is a beautiful prayer request, isn't it? We can learn a lot. Say, Lord, teach me how to pray like this. That if I'm going to ask for help, it's that Jesus is exalted. It's that people come to know Christ. It's, it's about others being transformed. And not always a, a wish list of our own things and, and our own needs. God, again, God cares about our needs, but he wants us to become kingdom-minded in our prayers. He's in prison. He's in chains. But his prayer is not, get me out, but get the gospel out. That's how you pray when you spend time with Jesus. The more time you spend with Jesus, the more you pray like Jesus prayed. Thy will be done type prayers. Remember the disciples said in Luke 11, 1, his disciples said, Lord, teach us how to pray, as John taught his disciples. And if we're going to make disciples, we have to teach disciples to pray. We need to be praying disciples that we can disciple others to pray. And Paul was certainly a man of prayer and he wants the Colossians to be people of prayer and he wants their prayer life to be kingdom-minded prayer, not self-focused prayers. And even when we pray for our self-needs, uh, it's ultimately, say, Lord, even the self-needs is that you would be glorified. Jesus was the most committed person of prayer the world has ever seen. And if we commit to praying, he'll teach us to pray as he taught the disciples. Not just in the word, but in your, in your spirit. The Holy, you have the Holy Spirit now to teach you, as First John talks about. You have the word of God that's, that's guided by the spirit of God, and God wants each and every one of us in that sufficiency in Christ to grow and learn to pray as Jesus did and as Jesus taught Paul. I mean, and Paul was confronted at salvation by Jesus himself and even trained by the Lord, we believe, uh, perhaps, if, if not um, directly, in some way that was rather supernatural there in Arabia for three years. And so Paul became a great man of prayer, and he's teaching that to the church, and we need to follow those footsteps. Moving on, he says in verse 5, walk in wisdom toward those who are outside redeeming the time. Let your speech always be seasoned with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how to answer each one. If you're taking notes, our next point looking at tonight, redeem each day. Redeem each day. You know the old saying, we're all given the same 24 hours. But what we do with that is, of course, always up to us. God has a plan for our time, and the enemy has a plan for our time. You, you've, you've encountered that when you, you said, Lord, I'm going to do this, or I, you're focused on, I'm going to really serve in this way, and then all kinds of 
roadblocks and hurdles come in the way. But the enemy has a plan for our time, but God wants to give us victory over all those things that invade our time. God wants us to learn to redeem our time. The enemy wants to ruin our time. God wants to redeem our time. God wants our time to also be eternally valuable. There's a lot of things that we'll do that don't have any eternal value. I'm thankful for God's grace because I've wasted a lot of time in my 51 years, and I'm sure all of you could say the same thing. Uh, it's amazing that God uh, looks at time differently than us as well. We, you know, if I was God, I wouldn't even institute sleep. I would just kind of make all Christians uh, have full of vitality and energy. But no, that's not even wasting time. God's, God's showing us that whatever we get done in this world is based on his sufficiency. It's based on his plan. It's not even based on us working ourselves to the bone. That's why we have to sleep every night. There's a, there's a mandate for rest. But when we're awake, even though we have to sacrifice six, seven, eight, whatever you need, hours sleep a night, nine uh, for some people, but um, we are given those waking hours and we're to redeem them. We're to use them wisely. Ephesians 5.16 uh, also tells us, Paul writing this as well, redeeming the time because the days are evil. I'm sure I can get an amen out there on the internet, uh, on the, those of you watching online right now. Yes, we're living in evil days. Paul was living in evil days. In other words, we have a short time. The Bible says our life is but a vapor. We have a short time to be lights. Do you understand that? You know, when you install a light bulb, you know it only has, it, it, it's got, not going to last forever. We're kind of like that. Jesus, he, he comes, he saves our soul, and he puts us in as a light bulb, and we're to shine until the day he calls us home, but a light bulb eventually goes out. But it needs to burn out, not just be turned off. And we want to shine in the short time that we have. Uh, even some things, understand, or as he said here, walk in wisdom towards those that are outside, um, those who are outside, redeeming the time. Even some things that aren't sins can take us way off course. Wouldn't you agree with that? Some things are not sins, but they can take us way off course. It can be a hobby. All of a sudden, we have no time for the Lord anymore. Things can take us off track. Instead of being lights, we can become loaded down with self-induced weights. We talked about that also back uh, in August or July with our uh, Hebrews 12 study. I believe it was back in July. But we're called to walk in wisdom here because we're in the world, but not of it. We need to walk among people. We need to walk in wisdom and walk among people to reach them. But we're not walking with them in the sense that uh, we don't have the same values as the world. We don't have the same goals as the world. And we shouldn't have the same hindrances. We do have the same uh, inclinations, but we lay them aside. And our world, it has a never ending list of things that can take our mind 
off Jesus. You ever, you ever you're about to do a, a time of devotion and one, two, three, four, five, 12 different distractions come. Half of them are on your phone. But there's so many things that can take our minds off Christ. We can get so busy. I heard the acronym years ago, and I've said it numerous times. Busy, bound under Satan's yoke. There is a busyness for Christ that he wants us, but, but not the busyness of this world. We can get so busy with temporal passing things that we have shrinking time for the Word, for prayer, for fellowship. When's the last time some Christians have been in fellowship? In, in this pandemic, I see some people are less and less even connected. Less and less time to serve. Less desire to serve. Redeeming the time is what is called for here. A.W. Tozer said distractions must be conquered or they will conquer us. So let us cultivate simplicity. I've talked about that a lot in the last year, maybe the last two years, about uh, as believers simplifying our lives. There's a purpose for it, an intentionality, simplifying our lives that we're ready for the things God calls us to do. In this uh, pandemic here in 2020, many have been forced to simplify their lives, uh, especially way back when everything really kind of broke. I saw people simplify by kind of choice, uh, not by choice, but by force. Well, the, everything's closed, so uh, therefore I have to simplify my life. But as things have opened up, people start to add things, and little by little, there's more and more added. But uh, simplification, some of it's been a good thing. Even this pandemic, I saw a study uh, a, a couple months back where a majority of families said they have spent more time together and are closer now. This wasn't a, just Christians. This was just families in general across the United States. And the, and the majority said they were closer, having more time together. That's great. It really is. I, I even love that the humanistic school systems have less time to indoctrinate our youth if, if they're not... In, Schools for eight hours, if they're doing some virtual and maybe in one or two days a week or, or all virtual, um, I believe that's just the common grace of God, the Lord redeeming time by His grace. But as disciples and believers, we have to willingly, willingly choose to keep our lives simplified. That growing in our personal walk with Jesus making disciples, first in our own homes, serving the body of Christ, and proactively praying for and reaching out to a lost world is how God wants us to prioritize our time. It's not that we prioritize everything and we get down and we say, Lord, I have five minutes left to invest in the kingdom of God. We talked about we have to be kingdom-minded in our prayers. We have to be kingdom-minded in our mindset. We have to be kingdom-minded in our time, redeeming time, because the world around us needs us shining the light of Jesus, not just on Sundays, prioritizing our time that we truly have time to invest in the things of the Lord. To redeem, it means to buy up. Are you investing in God's priorities? 
doesn't mean you can never watch a movie or take a vacation or read a fiction novel or go fishing or watch a football game or a baseball game or whatever, or even take a nap for that matter. It means your life's compass. If people uh, know you, they would know that the compass is fully set on Jesus. And by the way, people really can tell where your priorities are. A lot of times they're not going to tell you, but they know. And if you're a family, your kids will know, parents, where your priority. They'll know where you truly spend your time. And so one day if you see them walk away from the Lord because you didn't really prioritize Jesus, that would be sad. It's now that we redeem the time. Not just to those on the outside, but that's what's spoken of here, but also in the body of Christ but is your compass set on the kingdom of God, being conformed to Jesus, making disciples, reaching the world around us? Those other things aren't what we live for. They're not the focus of our lives. It's not the focus of our lives to you know, just say, well, I really live for just kind of getting off work so I can just chill out until the day starts the next day. No, that's not redeeming the time. That's wasting, squandering Jesus warned, you can't just take the talent you're given and bury it. You have to invest it. And the only thing that we really have to invest is the time that we're given. Also, he says here, let your speech always be seasoned with grace, seasoned with salt. And more, more time you spend with Jesus, not only will you pray like Jesus, but you'll speak like Jesus. And I don't mean that in his perfection we'll never get to that, but we'll be more loving will be more gracious. It'll be uh, seasoned with grace because we, when we receive a lot of grace, we give a lot of grace. We start to really look at people and look past their imperfections and say, Lord, what do you want to do in their soul? And seasoned with salt, you have wise words. And sometimes God will say, don't say a word, and you'll be glad you didn't. Because you won't have to go back and retract because you were saying things in the flesh. Now you'll walk in wisdom. Your speech will be seasoned with grace. It'll be full of the love of Christ. And you'll know how to answer because sometimes the enemy's just setting a trap. But you won't fall for the trap because you'll be walking in wisdom and you've spent your time with the Lord in the Word, in prayer. And so what will come out of your mouth will be wisdom. He's a lamp unto our feet, a light unto our path. We'll speak, as Scripture says, the oracles of God. We start to really walk with God and think in accordance with the Scriptures. And that's what will come out of our mouth. We start to give people, uh, I've said before, I, I can't remember when I was listening to one of Pastor Chuck Smith's messages years ago, and he, he endeavored for a while to, to answer people always with a verse. They didn't know it was a verse, but he just paraphrased a verse to see if the word of God coming out of his mouth instead of his own wisdom, just kind of how it would impact people. And he said it was really cool to see that God was always opening new doors by speaking the word of God as opposed to just our own thoughts, our own ideas. I mean, you and I don't have any thoughts or ideas that are going to help anybody. It's only the sufficiency that comes from Christ. Let's take a look at our last section. It's the largest section text-wise, but uh, it's our, just our last bullet point to look at tonight if you're taking notes remember your ministry and we're going to finish with this last point but let's take a look at verses 7 through 18 and we'll condense this last passage 
into this last point, uh, and I think you'll see why in just a moment, because it's kind of a Paul giving a synopsis of these faithful brothers and those that have stood with them, and just kind of, hey, you can look to their lives and model or, or follow their modeling. And so he starts with Tychicus here in verse 7. Tychicus, a faithful, a beloved brother, faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord, will tell you all the news about me. And again, Paul's there in a Roman prison. I am sending him uh, to you for this very purpose, that he may know your circumstances and comfort your hearts. Even in prison, Paul's thinking about other people's hearts with Onesimus, a faithful and beloved brother, who is one of you. They will make known to you all things which are happening here. It's an update on what's going on with Paul's situation there in Rome. Uh, Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you along uh, with Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, about whom you received instructions. If he comes to you, welcome him. And Jesus, who is called Justice, these are my only fellow workers for the kingdom of God who are of the circumcision. Uh, this is uh, stating that these are the only Jewish uh, co-laborers with Paul. And by the way, uh, some scholars have noted here that um, Peter certainly couldn't have been in Rome or Paul would have mentioned Peter here because he doesn't mention Peter. As a matter of fact, some uh, rightly say there's really no evidence that the Apostle Peter ever ended up in Rome. And whether he did or didn't, we can't prove. But Paul doesn't mention any other Jewish co-laborers here. And he goes on, they have proved to be a comfort to me. Epaphras, who is one of you, a bondservant of Christ, greets you always laboring fervently for you in prayers. Again, not only was Paul a man of prayer, Epaphras was a man of prayer, that you may stand perfect and complete. Again, Paul's desire in, in, these, in this closing chapter is that you become perfect and complete. Not perfect in the sense of perfection in this world, but following the perf perfection of Christ, and that makes us complete. In all the will of God, God has a will for each and every one of us. For I bear witness that he has great zeal for you. And for those who are in Laodicea, Laodicea was um, uh, very close to Colossae. And those in Heropolis, which was also close to Colossae. Luke, the beloved physician. Luke, of course, who wrote uh, Luke in the book of Acts. And Demas, who later uh, forsakes the Lord and forsakes Paul. And Paul doesn't say anything positive about Demas here either. He just says, Demas greets you. Everyone else, you see, he says uh, some wonderful things about. Greet the brethren who are in Laodicea and Nymphus and the church that is in his house. Uh, again, just a uh, reminder, most of the churches were house churches then. There wasn't big church buildings. But God wants us to use the things he's given us for him. Closing exhortations here starting in Verse 16, now when this epistle is read among you, see that it is read also in the church of the Laodiceans, and that you likewise read the epistle from Laodicea. And say to Archippus, uh, a pastor, take heed to the ministry which you have received in the Lord, that you may fulfill it. This salutation is in my own hand. Paul, remember my chains. Grace be with you. Amen. Taking a look at this last section as we kind of wrap up not only chapter 4 but this entire Colossians study. Keen off of verse 17, go back, uh, look, look with me at verse 17 and say to Archippus again who we believe was a pastor, take heed to 
the ministry you have received in the Lord that ye may fulfill it. But all the way from verse 7 all the way down through 18, notice Paul's observations. I read them and we just went through each and every one of them. But these men that are serving so selflessly. Look at verses 7 through 9 there. Tychicus, a beloved brother, faithful, fellow servant. Also Onesimus, uh, it says faithful, beloved brother. Both uh, are receiving this uh, commendation of faithful. He goes on. You see that there's a love in the relationships. The heart uh, for others that, that they're fervently praying for you. Verse 10, uh, take a look at verse 10. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, also willing to suffer for the name of Jesus. Not only Paul, but these other men uh, were all in. Verse 11, he mentions the kingdom of God. My only fellow workers for the kingdom. Not only was Paul kingdom-minded, but each of these other disciples had become kingdom-minded. Yeah, they had other things in their life, but the first thing, seeking first, as Jesus said, the kingdom of God. All these other things were added, but the first and the primary, the kingdom of God. You look at verse uh, 12, uh, Epaphras, a bondservant of Christ. Again, totally yielded to the Lord, laboring fervently, we see that each of these disciples, their ministry authenticity, Paul's speaking to it, but it's not really just Paul speaking to their authenticity, it's the Holy Spirit testifying of their authenticity. That someday these are the men that will hear, well done, good and faithful servant. Uh, the fact that Paul is mentioning it here is the Holy Spirit mentioning it. Their commendation is a prelude of future rewards from Christ. You understand, Jesus is looking at your life and my life and everyone else that has come to saving faith. He sees every single aspect, the hidden part, the thoughts, the words, the actions, our motives. He sees and takes note of all who are humbly fulfilling their ministry. Not perfect. None of us are this side of heaven. But are we faithful, laboring, fervently? Is there, is there a fervency to our serving Christ with zeal or enthusiasm? Some believers are enthusiastic about just about everything. Recipes, sports, barbecuing, this, that, and the other. But is there a zeal for the things of the Lord? Is there a zeal for others? It says that, uh, for I bear witness, back in uh, speaking of Epaphras, for I bear witness that he has a great zeal for you. A lot of people only have a zeal for themselves. They don't have a zeal for Jesus. And if you don't have a zeal for Jesus, you won't have a zeal for other people. Not only in the body of Christ, but not even a zeal to see lost people saved. You become cold, dry. What does Jesus see in your life 
as it relates to the ministry and service he's called you to. What does he see in your life? I mean, if you, if you went home to be with the Lord tonight, what would he see in your life? Are you living the ministry that you've been called to? You may not be called to be a pastor or a foreign missionary or a bishop or, or someone with the gift of evangelism. But you are absolutely, positively called to the ministry, or at least to ministry. The reason we're called to redeem each day, as Paul says earlier in this same chapter, is that we're all to fulfill the ministry, the works, the calling that Jesus has preordained for every one of us, preordained. Long before I was born, February 1st, 1969, it was already preordained. God says, these are the things I want Tim to do. And he'll fail and fall a few times, but I'll help him finish and fulfill. And how do I know that? Because the scriptures tell us in Ephesians uh, 2.10, for we are his workmanship. In other words, he's carved us. He's shaped us. He's pruned us, created in Christ Jesus, that was our salvation. For what? For good works, not for lazy, apathy, self-centered, but for good works, which God, anything God prepares, you know is good, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Walk in them. He has shoes fitted for your size. Pre that would only fit your feet to a T, you know, like in the Cinderella slipper. God has shoes that are fit for your feet. I talked about there's commands that are common to all of us, and that's true. We're all commanded to be people of prayer. We're all commanded to be in the Word. We're all commanded to love, and love covers them all two sins. But then there's specific ministry that God carved out for you, shoes that will only fit your feet, prepared and ordained before you were even born and before you were born again. Several weeks back, we looked at John chapter 15 where Jesus said the Father prunes the branches that are bearing fruit. Why? That they would bear more fruit. Fruit bearing becomes more fruit bearing. Faithful and fruitful saints fulfill their ministry. My wife, she ministers to ladies, she oversees our ladies' ministry, but her first ministry, aside from being at the feet of Jesus, that's her first ministry, to be like Mary, not like Martha, running around doing everything for the Lord, but at, her first ministry is to be at the feet of the Lord. But aside from that first ministry of her being at the feet of Jesus, it's to minister to me and the girls. My primary ministry is to minister to her and the girls, and then the body of Christ, and then the outside world. Because my wife's ministry doesn't end with me and our three daughters. It's centered there, but it's not only there. And I'm speaking to all of us in the body of Christ. God will expand your capacity. He's prepared beforehand uh, the shoes that you'll fit into, but also He'll give you the energy on how far they can walk. And like in the children of Israel, the souls won't wear out. But 40 years in the wilderness, the souls didn't wear out. He'll prepare your shoes and he'll make sure that you can walk 
10 times farther. And I'm saying, well, I can barely do the ministry. No, no, you start to be faithful in the small thing. And he expands our capacity because primary, yes, my wife, my daughter, but it doesn't end there. Or I couldn't be a pastor. I couldn't minister to other people. I say, well, I don't have time for anybody else. I just have time for my wife and girls. No. It's centered there, but not only there. We all have a kingdom calling that's outside our home family. And we see that with each of these faithful saints, that they cared for Paul in Rome, but they also cared for people back in Laodicea or Heropolis and, and praying for others. And you see God using them in so many different ways. There, again, is that calling. We need to get it right in the home first. But it's, only, it's not just there. It has to start there. It has to, uh, we have to fulfill that calling, but God will then take it outside. Even a homebound person, you know, we've got uh, you know, a, just a beautiful collection of believers that have come together here uh, in our young at heart. And, and even if uh, sometimes some of them can't really leave the house, or maybe in the pandemic you're, you're homebound, you can still pray outside the house. You can pray and be used of God as a prayer warrior. And so it's not just centered on yourself, but you're able to be used to fulfill your ministry outside the home because prayer, we can go anywhere through prayer. Closing, turn with me to Romans chapter 12 for just a minute and we'll kind of wrap things up. I just want to see, want you to see in Romans chapter 12, we'll read these few passages there and then come to a close. In Romans 12, uh, Paul talks about these different ministry callings. Uh, if you pick it up with me, Romans chapter 12 uh, in verse 6, Paul says, um, or actually let's look at verse 5, so we being many are one body in Christ and individually members of one another having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, let us use them, not just gifts, but callings as well. If prophecy, let us prophesy in proportion to our faith. Or ministry, let us use it in, minister, uh, in our ministering. He who teaches in teachings, that's, that's uh, clearly one of my callings, is to teach. He who exhorts in exhortation. I certainly am called to do that as well, both from the pulpit and one-on-one and one-to-few. -on -one one he who gives with liberality, some of you have the gift of generosity or, and a calling in that respect. He who leads with diligence, who shows mercy with cheerfulness. And so Paul's talking about, again, there is a ministry calling, but he goes on, and this is kind of, it kind of bleeds into everything that all of us are called to do in fulfilling our ministry, verse 9, let love be without hypocrisy, abhor what is evil, cling to what is good, be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love, and honor giving preference to one another, not lagging in diligence, fervent in spirit. We saw Paul mention that word as it relates to Epaphras. Serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, continuing steadfastly in prayer, common theme again, distributing to the needs of the saints, given to hospitality. We saw you know, one of the faithful brothers using their home. All of us should be hospitable. Not just, well, they have the gift of hospitality. He's not talking about gifting here. He's saying all of us have to display hospitality. All of us need to distribute to the saints. 
All of us need to be steadfast in prayer. All of us need to be serving the Lord. All of us need to be rejoicing and patient. You can go through the list yourself, and I would encourage you to go through that list. Complementary to what we just read in Colossians 4. But it kind of gives you that background that all of us have a ministry calling. All of us are called to walk in this manner. These are specific callings, but Jesus wants us to fulfill with his help in the church or in, in the home first, in the church, and then outside in the world. As I just bring it to a close here, back to Colossians 4, we'll just uh, close with what he says again to Archippus and then Paul's own uh, situation himself in verse 18 and verse 17, and say to Archippus, take heed to the ministry which you have received in the Lord, that you may fulfill it. This salutation is with my own hand, Paul. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. Amen. Paul's words to Archippus are to all of us. Take heed to the ministry that you've received, that you and I may fulfill it. And even Paul's saying, even in chains... Remember, my chain. even in chains, Paul can fulfill his ministry. Archippus, who's not in chains, can fulfill his ministry. You can fulfill yours. I can fulfill mine, and we can only fulfill it. And the will of God, through the Son of God, Jesus, and with the help of walking with him day by day, just yielding our life to him, our sufficiency to do this is only in Jesus. Let's close in prayer. Father, we just thank you again for reminding us, Lord, that you have a specific call. Lord, there's a, there's a general call for all of us to be people of prayer, to redeem the time, to walk in wisdom, especially towards those that don't yet know you as Lord and Savior. There's a, there's a general call for all of us to be loving and hospitable uh, inside the body of Christ, to be generous and to, Lord, pray for one another. But there's also a specific call. And some listening right now may not know that specific call. And Lord, I pray that as they fully commit to the general things that they already know, Lord, that they will get back in the Word, dedicate themselves to being at your feet in prayer, that you fit them with the size shoe for the ministry you've called it to. Maybe you're calling some of them to be serving in children's ministry or maybe uh, serving in some outreach capacity or maybe on the worship team or maybe uh, helping just kind of uh, single moms or whatever it may be, Lord, but you've, you want us to do the things that are nearest and closest to the home, but Lord, it's not limited there to grow our capacity because you have a kingdom work that, Lord, you want us to accomplish that we'd shine as a light bulb as bright as possible till you return and we want to fulfill and we thank you that you give us the sufficiency by the Holy Spirit to do it. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We'll have a great rest of the evening. Uh, it's a blessing to complete this Colossians study. I hope it's been a blessing to you. I pray that each and every one of us would walk and fulfill uh, the calling of the Lord and his sufficiency in our life. And uh, have a great rest of the week. And uh, just go in peace.